Hello and welcome back to Explainiacs. I'm Lindley Gooden, reformed journalist and still very curious human. Now we're at the end of series one. So far, we've leapt from business to tech, communication to creativity. So let's finish the series by jumping back into the brain. This time, we're investigating the scientific study of the good life. Not quite that good life, but not too far from it. We're talking about positive psychology. What's that? Well, if you've never heard of it, positive psychology is making a huge difference to hundreds of thousands of people, businesses, even governments across the world. But I know somebody who can explain it much better than I can, so much so that she now works with organizations worldwide to help them to also discover the good life. Her name is Dr. Artie Anhal. Artie, hello. Hello. It does feel a little strange having you in the hot seat, I have to be honest. Now, I should really confess one thing. Artie and I know each other quite well because we're married. <laughs> I know, it, it's a risk. But uh, now we're here, let's explain who you are, not just uh, who you're married to. Explain the X Biography. Dr. Artie Anhal is the founder of Before Nine, a consultancy that helps organisations to reach and sustain their best performance through positive working, an approach that gives people the tools they need to thrive in good times and not so good times. Now, Artie started out as a lawyer before heading to the University of Cambridge for her PhD and then spent a decade working in risk and resilience, helping some of the world's best known companies to handle adversity. Now she's turned her attention to the people who make the organisations work. New subject, description. Okay, so let's kick off. Um, looking at positive psychology and psychology, they're, they're just one word different, right? So you'd imagine that they aren't that far from each other. But before we get into the detail, why are organisations using positive psychology and the techniques there to work better? Most businesses are missing the opportunities of really understanding how humans can benefit as well as hinder everything they do. And so that's really what kind of got me into wanting to explore a form of psychology that had this focus on humans and the positive aspects and the opportunities that humans bring. So it comes from America, I understand, from what you've told me. And uh, does that basically mean that the core tool is to clap wildly and to look at stage with a massive, perfect smile. So it's very interesting that that's your that's interpretation, it, it? right? Because, um, yes, yeah, so the first wave in the early 2000s, I think definitely the first wave of uh, positive psychology was definitely this focus on positive emotion, positive aspects of life. Um, and I think it came very quickly to be seen in some senses as this kind of happy, clappy science of happiness right. that was really just about accentuating all the good, all the good and happy feelings. Um, but actually, in the last five years, the second wave has arrived, which is much more about riding the idea that all good things in life, all positive things in life can come from good, but they can come from bad. Mm. And that we have to be better at um, embracing that dark side and looking at some challenging experiences to draw the benefits and the opportunities. And also to realise, maybe this links to your happy, clappy fears initially, <laughs> that not all positive emotions are, are good or appropriate all of the time, right? Mm. And that there are downsides. I mean, the, the classic example is that um, being overly optimistic, optimism being seen as a positive thing, can actually be very dangerous for people. Yeah. And we always see this in, for example, um, we call it gambler's fallacy, but the people who smoke but say it will never happen yeah. to me. Yeah. So, yeah. so actually it's about a rebalancing. 
it's uh, I apologize to everybody who's listening from the US because as you all know British people really wish <laughs> that they could be as happy clappy as we we believe you are what are the tools and techniques and tricks I and mean, what what do you first of all have to focus on to start the journey uh, into a more positive way of life I think self-awareness is the key right do we understand well enough how we think what beliefs we carry around with us about ourselves, about the world around us, um, about the capabilities we have. Um, do we have a tendency for a negativity bias, for example, yeah. or are we more focused on the positive? But once we have a better understanding of what our strengths and perhaps what some of our limitations are, it's about recognising there are lots of tools out there that some of us probably do quite naturally and some of us don't. So, for example, there are probably some people who you would say are more optimistic. But for those that aren't and want to feel more optimistic, um, positive psychology has a range of tools that can be used to build optimism. It's the same for resilience. You know, that's something that you know that I'm very passionate about because yeah. I worked in it from an organisational perspective and now I'm combining that with the human aspects. But some of us know we've used many muscles all the time, every day of our life when things have gone wrong. Yeah. But how do we use those in really difficult times? And if we don't know what they are, or we've never been in a difficult situation, positive psychology can help us to unlock the tools we have within us. So, you know, I think because I have a coaching hat as well, a lot of this is about recognising we are fully resourced within, yeah. but sometimes we need help to unlock those resources. Explain yes. Down the rabbit hole. So we'll have to go into the the techniques that we need to understand to get our heads around this in a, in a minute. But in the years that you've been doing this now, from going from resilience, risk and resilience, the industry there, which is business mm. and operations a lot of the time, into something which deals with people a lot more, what are the common kind of questions and trends and problems that can be overcome? I think the trend that I, I've seen previously, and I think that um, coronavirus has really brought this into into focus particularly because of the remote working is the role of managers um you know we talk a lot about leaders with a big l mm. and we forget that actually every single manager is a leader in their own right um because what, what, what does that mean because they're responsible for inspiring okay. they're in they're responsible for creating followership um and and i think that one of the biggest trends has been how do we equip managers with tools to better manage their own selves mm. and then to be of service to the people they manage while still delivering results. You hit on a really important point there because um, I think we can all uh, draw on our own experience that we've been in places where the leaders say they want to manage people for, for successfully and that they uh, they have our interests at heart, mm. but they don't. Ego gets in the way, fiefdoms get in the way, silos get in the way, mm. and that's not a lot of fun for anybody working beneath those people. Mm. Uh, can, can you start to change their mindset a bit so that they understand the value of their people. Mm. Well, so this is where you start to see the links with other things that are going on in industry, right? So we're already seeing moves, um, particularly, I mean, again, forced by some of the circumstances, but many organisations have been on an agile transformation journey for a while, mm. which was actually saying that we've got to move from this hierarchical structure of an organisation to flatter structures where we have networks of people and we need to devolve responsibility. So already, if you're starting to look at moving in that kind of way as a business, your leaders are already starting to say, look, we're not the people at the top who have the answers. There are going to be people across the organisation who have answers and it's about cultivating that talent. So what I think is really interesting is about you using this type of psychology but bringing it into the reality of the world of business and the world of business now is that most organizations are on a transformation journey whether they want to be or not so they are going to have to transform the way they 
are structured and the way they operate. But this psychology can actually help them to do that because they don't just have to think about the structures and the systems they put in place, they can think about what's going to bring out the best in their people. Okay, so let's get into the nitty gritty. Okay. <laughs> okay, we know the principles, but you mentioned, first of all, that you have to take like an audit. You mm. have to understand your strengths. You have to understand who you are and what you want to do and what you can do well. Mm. Maybe looking to what you can improve, but how do you do that and what is, where does that take you? Yeah. So there are a range of ways of doing that. The first one, and the, probably the most common one, is a strengths-based approach. So this is about actually profiling the, the staff, the workforce, right. to understand what their human strengths are. And those are very different from their technical strengths. Okay. So most of us are educated to know that we're really good data analysts, or we're really good journalists, or we're really good public speakers. But we very rarely know what it is about that that's bringing out the joy in our ability to do that, that technical skill or that piece of knowledge. We're normally actively discouraged from knowing that stuff. That's about us, a person, that's outside work. <laughs> I, I'm a boss, I don't care about that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, so this is the thing now, is that actually smart organisations are realising that if they can understand the human strengths, and by human strength, we're talking about pre-existing natural ways of thinking, feeling and behaving that are energising to the person and that increase their performance. Mm. So... Um, Actually, let me throw this back to you. Oh, no. I know Are you going to positive psychology me? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, we know I've tried to do that before. It and work. I've not. <laughs> um, so I know that you've taken the VIA before. Yes. Strength profile. So yeah. what were some of the top strengths there or the, the strengths at the top of your list that came through? Um, the top, well, so I did this uh, a few months ago. Um, during lockdown, we were looking at, um, you know, all of us were really looking, and I think we still are looking at where we take ourselves in the future. So I did this thing. And my top uh, value... Mm -hmm was creativity mm -hmm. the third one was leadership and i used to be manage i used to manage people i really care about that stuff and uh, i was very senior and very successful in that but i moved away from it and i thought that's number three fantastic sandwiched in the a big fat sandwich in the middle of that was humility <laughs> now how annoying is that i don't want to, people to know about that stuff so actually that gets in the way so what it, what it told me in mm. my in my assessment of myself first of all hide it and second of all change it so had i been coaching you yeah the questions would have been in you kind of started to answer it yourself with the creativity is how much are you using that strength at the moment yeah. you know um the se the second part you talked about leadership is mm. okay so you used to use it yeah. is it that you're not using it anymore in small teams i do now but that's that's you know yeah. a small part of the job and then with the humility my question would be yeah so what is it about that that you're feeling uncomfortable about? And is it that you're overusing it? And so this is the really interesting thing when we're working one-to-one -one with someone on strengths. Mm. It's which ones are you using? Which ones are at the bottom of that profile which you actually would like to develop? Because yeah. we should actually have a rounded ability to use all of them. Yeah. Um, and then if we're overusing it, what is that doing to us, for us? So if we take that out from a one-to-one -one perspective, we yeah. move it into a team, right? So you'll have a team that have a range of human strengths, love of learning, leadership, curiosity, courage, perseverance. I worked with a legal team of a big travel company mm. and we did a strengths mapping exercise with their team. They all shared love and being loved, kindness 
and um, social intelligence of being able to read and understand people. But they they really didn't have amongst them as a team some of the others like courage, you know, fighting mm. for what's right, perseverance. Mm. And so the general counsel looked around and looked at me and said, gosh, I've got a team of lawyers who all want to save the world mm. and they want to work for UNICEF, but they're working for me. Right. So the discussion then becomes, how do that team work given the culture of that company, given some of the difficult tasks they have to do? What is it we can do to develop them? Or is it that we need more diversity in that team? We need people who bring other human strengths. Mm. Then it is about creating, and it's called job crafting, but creating roles that fully recognise not just the technical skills of Lindley at being a great journalist in this broadcaster, but the human strengths of creativity and humility Mm. that Lindley brings. And actually saying, now let's really understand what we could do to build this workforce based on their strengths. The way that people that you and I have worked with is is absolutely impacted by the way that they're treated by their boss, right? So what makes this approach to finding a kind of psychological balance, especially at work, so useful to people, do you think? Positive psychology is not a dip, it's just a, an umbrella term for lots of different research. So in the work that I do, there are parts of coaching psychology that come in, some of which are drawn from NLP, some of which are taken from cognitive behavioural therapy. You know, let me give you a really practical example of this. So I was working with a manager who had had a previous issue not that anyone in the workforce knew this, but had had a previous incident that had not gone well when they had challenged a senior manager. And as a result, that had been so traumatic for them that fundamentally it shaped everything about how they then went and briefed managers and senior leaders. um, And they were known to be very nervous. And it was only when I started coaching him that it, we realised that it was as a result of this event mm. and that then you were able to start helping that person to look at that event from different perspectives. How did you get that bit of knowledge from them? Did they say that that was the most important point ever or did you just chip away and try and get to understand them? How did, how did you get to that point? Because we would all, I guess, like to understand ourselves better and mm. try and remember the bit mm. that made us think this way or that way. So it's self-coaching. Either if we're doing it for ourselves, it's self-coaching. Why do I feel like this? Where is this coming from? And yes, the job of the coach is to ask questions that um, help someone to unlock that thinking. So, you know, I I work very much from gut and instinct and intuition um, of a feeling of, gosh, I feel that this is the right question to ask. Um, But there are so many, again, scientifically researched ways of questioning and asking. There are whole models in cognitive behavioural therapy about what questions you ask to help someone uncover a distortion in their thinking, which is basically, Mm. in that parlance, you know, an error or a... um, a kind of a wrong interpretation that someone may have got from an event or an over overzealous interpretation yes, maybe yeah or a overly punishing yeah. self-punishing mm-hmm. one um so there are questions but what's really interesting about this whole process is that when you help someone get to that event and you help them to look at it differently the way that they change the story about that one event can have a huge impact physiologically on how they go from being fidgety or being red in the face when they talk to stakeholders and senior leaders to actually being much calmer because what has changed is the story they're telling themselves. Mm. A, about that event, but B, about actually... I mean, one of the best questions for me is always, what's the worst that can happen? Someone will usually say, oh, so I I won't be very liked that day? Right. Uh, Okay, and so... How bad is that? Yeah. Personal thoughts and stories. Right, so uh, two, two things that I remember when, when you were uh, changing over to positive psychology. Uh, two really big words. One very small word, actually, but two big concepts. One was gratitude. What did it mean to you when you first heard about gratitude? I mean, it's not just a thank you. 
it's much more than that, right? Yeah. So again, a range of psychologists and researchers have done a lot of research into gratitude. And um, there's a lot of theory about gratitude of how you construct it, what it is. Is it a state uh, that we're in or is it a specific emotion, i.e. that we can feel it in response to a stimulus of someone saying something or someone doing something? And what I've always found interesting is that there are two types of gratitude, really. There's gratitude to and there's gratitude for. Okay. So I am grateful for... I am grateful for my wonderful education. I am grateful for uh, the universe for having brought Lindley and Artie together. Uh, you know, or I am grateful to my high school teacher. I am grateful to. And the grateful to is something that we need to experience as well as the gratitude for. They have slightly different roles. Mm. Right? So the gratitude to actually really triggers the desire within that relationship of whoever you're grateful to. It yeah. triggers something, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it triggers an emotion. It triggers potentially a desire to act on that gratitude. Whereas the gratitude for is probably much more of a spiritual approach of just recognising what we have in our lives and yes. we are grateful for it. Um, and then the research is really just about showing um, through various studies how either doing the three good things exercise, which is, you know, at the end of the day, logging and journaling, three things that went well and why they went well, mm. because they the savouring and the reflection and then the realisation of things had a gone well and that there might have been a variety of reasons either related to you or others why mm. they went well would increase this gratitude which would increase positive emotion yeah um and they've done that in a range of populations they've also done it with people who have actually had mental health issues and and gr gratitude really helps mm. but again it's one intervention you can't say to someone gosh the key to your well-being and feeling good and functioning well is purely gratitude there's another word which uh, which is really important, almost for me as an outsider looking in, almost the most important word to describe what you feel like when the positive psychology process has started to work, and that is flow. Yeah. What is flow? How does it work? What does it mean? Flow. So the kind of guru of flow, the key researcher, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, mm. he made a really interesting distinction in 1992 when he was researching what made people happy. And he said, look, there are two ways of looking at this. There's pleasure and there's enjoyment. Okay. And he said, pleasure, we feel that something is pleasurable and we derive pleasure from it when our expectations have been met. Enjoyment is not only when our expectations have been met, but when we have achieved something we had never anticipated or we couldn't have predicted, it went further. So then he said, so what is the, he called it the phenomenology. Okay. <laughs> so what is it that happens to create enjoyment? This idea that we have to have achieved something we didn't anticipate. And so then he said, okay, I'm gonna study people who say that they experience this enjoyment what were the circumstances? What was it that they were doing that helped them create it? And so he started to see that there was a trend. So people were experiencing this kind of enjoyment when they were actually doing a challenging task. Yep. They felt that they had the skills to do it, but that it was slightly more challenging than their skills allowed. Mm. There were rules of the game and that when they were immersed in doing that task, they were getting constant feedback as to whether it was working well. Mm. And even if they weren't fully in control of the task, they had the perception that they were in control of the task. Yeah. And time just vanished. It disappeared. And he said, OK, so this is a, a state of flow. And he talked to basketball players. He talked to musicians. He talked to farmers. He talked to so many people who described this yeah. phenomenon. Mm. And the biggest part really is that there is no attention left to go anywhere else. Um, and from that, we've been able to basically see that 
we could try and create these conditions for people. If in organisations we could create flow moments, if we could create the conditions for that, then we would have people that would be in this state of flow. Explainiacs, in conclusion. Okay, um, we'll, we'll wrap up in a minute. How do I, as a person, start to make decisions that play to my strengths and ultimately be more positive. So what, what are the steps? So there's a great model in positive psychology called the PERMA model, which is the, the kind of the pathway to flourishing, which is saying, look, I really need to think about the positive emotions I'm experiencing. You know, what is the ratio of positive to negative emotion every day? Because that's going to affect my mood. Um, I need to think about how engaged I am in my life. You know, how much, how mindful am I? How in the flow am I? How much am I using my strengths to do the things that I like to do? Yeah. There are my relationships, my positive relationships at home or in the workplace. There's the meaning. How much meaning am I feeling right now? And if I feel that something isn't meaningful, what is that showing me? What yeah. needs to change in my life? Because this is also a huge time, and I'm seeing a lot of people doing it, ourselves included, yeah. um, of reflection. Absolutely. And then achievement. You know, we need to be feeling like we are achieving something because as human beings, that's what life is about. Mm. So what are the small habits? What are the small goals? Please do not confuse positive psychology with pop psychology. Mm. Please do not confuse the scientific rigour of researching how interventions and concepts can be used on different populations and how it can be correlated with a whole range of other factors in life. Do not confuse that for the quotes you get on the internet that say, every day is a brighter day. Yeah. There's a huge difference between the two. Every day can be a brighter day, but what people want right now is how. And that's what positive psychology gives them. Final question. How are you going to make me better? <laughs> There's absolutely no need to make you any better than you already are. <laughs> just checking that you did all hear that at home. You did hear that, didn't you? Okay, good. Well, that's just about all we have time for. And I think, I think we survived it. So, as always, it's now time for your very own Explainiacs to take the floor. If there's somebody in your life who is absolutely fascinating or who can explain a subject that we couldn't possibly understand without them, please do get in touch. I really, really want to hear from you and hear about them too. Now, you can do that at Explainiacs.com. And as ever, if it's important, fascinating or fun, we're here to explain it. We have lots more to come very soon, so please rate this on Apple Podcasts or wherever you can. Uh, give us a few stars, like, subscribe, and we'll drop the next episode into your device as soon as it's fresh to gobble up. For now, stay safe, take care, and bye-bye. Bye. -bye.